Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 324. We talk a lot on this podcast about best practices, do's and don'ts, and share plenty of tips in between. To that point, it got me thinking, what are the things I don't recommend to do when it comes to a Royal Caribbean cruise? This week, I'm sharing those things I don't recommend on this episode. Here we go. You all may know I actually do live broadcasts almost every day of the week. And in those live broadcasts, whether I'm live on our Facebook page or on Periscope or on YouTube, even Instagram, I often will get questions from our viewers and slash readers slash podcast listeners about what you know not to do. What are some, some good tips? And we share a lot of them here on this podcast and all across the Royal Caribbean blog universe, if you will. But today I wanted to come up with I, can't, I, I want to come up with 10. I think I've actually got nine. Eh, close enough. Uh, things I don't recommend to do on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Now, this is all gamuts of it. I really sat down for about uh, a little while. And I, I yes, I actually planned this episode. And I thought about, okay, what are the things I really and truly don't recommend doing? Not like, you know, uh, obvious things. You know, don't bring, like, you know, weapons on a cruise, right? I'm talking about things like, you know, there are options out there. Some people do it. I personally don't recommend it. And thus this episode is born. Let's start off with waiting to book things on board. Man, this has become my mantra lately in the last couple of years, which is do not wait to book your drink packages, internet packages, shore excursions, uh, really any, especially restaurants, any of those things on board the ship. And when I say don't book them, I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, reserve them ahead of time instead, what you really should be doing, right? Dining packages aside. But when we're talking about these options, number one, it's almost certainly going to save you more money by booking in advance. Number two, it's going to save you time. You're going to spend less time on board the ship, you know, standing in the line or just simply taking time out of your vacation to book these things. That's what it really boils down to when I'm talking about not waiting to book on board. More than likely, you're, it's going to cost you more money, but also it's going to cost you your time, even if it is the same amount of time. So by pre-booking via Royal Caribbean's Cruise Planner website, you're going to avoid all those problems. So for me, I feel like that's a number one thing to do. There is nothing that I recommend booking on board the ship. The only exception, I, all right, now I'm thinking about this, the only time I violate my own rule is because I am Diamond Plus, and when I go on a three-night cruise, if I buy the Voom internet package on board the ship, because of my onboard discount, it ends up being much cheaper for me to do that. But I get the sense that not everybody falls in that category. So there are a couple like caveats here and there. But by and large, the rule is, especially drink packages, uh, you know, shore excursions, book them in advance, especially shore excursions. My gosh, you don't want to be sitting on the ship and be limiting yourself, not only to what's available purely through Royal Caribbean, but trying to research what to do on your phone or even worse when you get to the island or port you're visiting and be like, okay, we're here. What do we do now? Like, that's just, not to say you couldn't possibly have a good day that way, but you're making it much more difficult for yourself. So definitely take advantage of the opportunity to book in advance. I mean, you got all this time before your cruise, take advantage of it. Number two, I don't recommend booking your Royal Caribbean cruise on your own through Royal Caribbean's website. You certainly can. And a lot of people are like, hey, why can't I do that? I do that for my hotel rooms, I do that for my rental cars. And that's not only perfectly fine, it's actually to your advantage. It's actually the opposite when it comes to cruising, especially if you are new to cruising and even maybe new to Royal Caribbean. Heck, I always use a travel agent. I recommend everybody use a travel agent out there. Bottom line, end of story. And the reason is, unlike hotels and airfare and rental cars where the middleman or the travel agent's role really has been eliminated because consumers have found it more advantageous to do it on their own. Travel agents are a tremendous resource in this regard. First and foremost, 
The cruise line pays them. Unlike the other areas, that's why travel agents stop booking those things. So because they can get a commission from the cruise line, obviously they can make money on it. But more importantly to you, that means they can take time to service your reservation, answer your questions, make recommendations, and help you out. The bottom line is the travel agent is going to save you time. Anybody can go on the website and book a, web, uh, a cruise. You can go to RoyalCarbon.com. It's really simple. It's not that difficult, right? Uh, it's just like booking almost anything else online. The difference is there's so many options, so many possibilities that booking it on your own, while simple, is actually very complex because I don't think first-time cruisers are nearly aware of all the multitude of choices available to them, not only at the booking process, of which there are many, but also throughout the booking area. To me, the metaphor I love using with, with travel agents when it comes to booking a cruise is like lawyers at court. You can go to court and represent yourself, right? But if you talk to anybody who's in the legal uh, business, they will tell you that's a really bad idea because you don't know the system. You don't know the ins and outs. You don't know the, the tricks of the trade, as it were. And the same kind of holds true when booking a cruise. There's a lot of options out there. And travel agents, while booking process, you can make an argument to booking in yourself, the bottom line is travel agents really earn their keep in two major areas. Number one, they can help you uh, discover perhaps discounts and offerings that weren't available to you that you might be able to find just on your own. But number two, if there's ever an issue, a problem, oh my gosh, this is when travel agents really come in handy. Classic example was, and I talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, when Hurricane Dorian was coming through earlier this year, and there were a lot of different options I had to consider, and then I ultimately ended up canceling the cruise, you know, there were probably, I'm going to guess at least half a dozen calls made to Royal Caribbean. And during a hurricane, by the way, their phone lines are jammed. And do you know how many times I personally picked up the phone? Well, if you listen to that episode, you know the answer already. The answer is zero. My travel agent took care of it for me, went through all the options. Every silly idea I could come up with to try to make the cruise work, they called, picked up the phone, called on my behalf, got all the, noodle through the choices, gave me the result. But the bottom line is they saved me time. Time is money. You know, it's nice when you can get someone to say, hey, here's a couple hundred dollars back, here's some onboard credit, you know, whatever the case may be. But that is not the end-all, be-all reason of using a travel agent. It is your time. It is making your life easier. And that's why booking a cruise directly is a mistake because I don't recommend it. I think it's mu you're much better off booking a cruise uh, with a travel agent. Now, the next thing I have I don't recommend doing, I I'm sure I'm going to get some emails about this, but I got to say it. I actually don't recommend booking my time dining. Is uh, let me uh, before you get mad, before you start throwing your phone, yelling at your car. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't recommend booking my time dining for first-time cruisers, especially or large groups. If you fall into one of those two categories, it's a bad idea. Uh, if you're a first-time cruiser, I think traditional dining, even with its set times, is the is such a fun experience. You get the same wait staff, the same table assignment, the same dinner time every night. I think that makes planning certainly a heck of a lot easier. And it also allows you to really, I think, relish one of the best parts of cruising is that personalized service. So that's number one. Number two, if you're in a large group, and I would define large group as somebody who has more than eight people in their group, my time dining becomes almost a hindrance because inevitably people in large groups want to dine together. Right. If you if you're there with, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14, 30 people and you want to dine together, my time dining becomes a nightmare to try to coordinate. You're much better off with traditional dining. And I think the idea now, this is now this is, I think up to this point, maybe I may have had some people on my side with this, but I, I really do believe that the idea of my time dining where you can, you know, maybe one night you dine at five o'clock, one night you dine at seven o'clock, that that flexibility is 
Overrated. I said it. I said it. It's overrated. I don't think it really matters that much. I think that when it comes to entertainment, traditional dining usually works better with the with the entertainment options in terms of shows in the evening. And I think that more than likely you're not needing that kind of flexibility with it. If you are, you're probably eating the Windjammer. Oh boy, I upset a lot of people there. I'm sorry, but that's my honest thoughts. Now look, if you're an established cruiser, you've been there, done that. If you don't have a large group, you can make a certainly a good argument for My Time Dining, and I won't argue with you on that one. But again, going back to what I said earlier, I don't recommend My Time Dining for somebody who is new to cruising and or has a large group. I think in that situation, you are better off with traditional dining. The next thing I don't recommend is booking one stateroom for four people. Now, this is a really common question I get because people who are booking a cruise, they look at it just like a hotel room because it is. It's a floating hotel, right? You're saying, oh, well, family of four, two parents, two kids, got to find a room for us. And they look for one room to put all the people in. And it's a mistake because, well, staterooms on a cruise ship are significantly smaller than hotel rooms on land in almost every case, right? But number two is it's not that much more money to book two rooms instead. You, there's a lot of great connecting room options, especially if you book well in advance. And by having two rooms, first and foremost, as a parent, you get separation from your kids, which as a parent is a really big deal, right? You're not sharing all that space together, especially when it comes to sleeping time. Maybe if your kids are younger, they're going to sleep earlier than you are. Regardless, you're not on the same schedule as your kids, no matter how what their age is. So you get a little bit of separation. You can close the door. You guys can, if the kids are playing and having a great time, well, good. They're, they're in their area. You're in your area. It's a little more like being at home. And the second reason is you can also get a second set of bathrooms. And as kids get older, this is a really important uh, option to have, especially when you're coming back from shore excursions and everyone wants to hop in the shower. Having two showers is huge. And again, two rooms, especially two smaller rooms versus like a balcony room as an example for four people is often roughly the same price or very, very close by that you can make it worthwhile. I know some people say two rooms, it's gotta be like a fortune, right? Well, yeah, if you get two suites or two balcony rooms, perhaps, but if you're willing to say instead of one balcony room that, that can accommodate four people, you say two interior rooms, I would think you're probably getting very close to the same price as that one room. So that's the way to go. The next thing I don't recommend doing is planning to return to your cruise ship from a shore excursion closer than two hours before sail away. You know, you probably have heard me talk about and write about at royalgreenblog.com some fantastic shore excursions in the ports you visit. There's a lot of great things to do. And I would say a majority of the time, I end up doing shore excursions on my own, as in not excursions through Royal Caribbean. But the bottom line is I don't recommend ever coming back to the ship closer than two hours before you're all aboard time. Bottom line. I would probably say we, we probably personally prefer to come back three to four hours beforehand, which you look, you are kind of limiting yourself. Not always the case, by the way. I don't want to make it seem like we're back on the ship about 30 minutes after we get off the ship. Far from it. But you need to pad your time. When it comes to booking shore excursions on your own, you're talking about time management. That's the key right there. Because inevitably, when people hear, oh, you're not booking your shore excursion to Royal Caribbean, what happens if you're late? What happens if you do get left behind? And the answer is, in my opinion, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot here and, and someday, uh, not too far from now, this will all come back to haunt me. But if you give yourself at least two hours from to, to your planning your scheduled return to when all aboard is, uh, the only thing I can foresee that would prevent you from making that ship is if you are literally like in a hospital or something like that. Which, of course, if that happens, hey, look, getting back to the cruise ship is secondary. You got to take care of yourself at that point, right? But when it comes to traffic delays, blown tires, losing track of time, two hours is a very large chunk of time, buffer especially, to be able to get back there. And I think that's really the key. And 
I think most people end up getting back there anyway, but the mistake is some people, especially new cruisers, like, okay, for all aboard is 4.30. Okay, we'll be back at 4 or 3.30, and that is a mistake. That is cutting it too close. You want to give yourself at least two hours. The next thing I think is a big mistake is avoiding the using the porters, especially on disembarkation day. Whether you're arriving to your cruise port on the first day and you're dropping off your luggage, or it's the last morning of your cruise, you're, de you're depressed, you don't want to go home, you're, you're sleepy, you're groggy, not using the porters is a big mistake and I don't recommend avoiding them. The, the bottom line is they will make your life easier. They're going to they're gonna take all your luggage for you and that's in and of itself a really great benefit. I mean, lugging your own stuff, eh. And I know, okay, yes, you do have to tip them, okay? It's, they have no firm cost, but you're supposed to customarily tip them. I mean, you know, a dollar or two a bag is really not that big of a deal. And to be able to make your last morning just a smidge easier and... In some ports, using the porters means you get to skip the line, or not even skip the line, but get a secondary line or bypass the line. I can't tell you how many times porters have saved us time in that customs line where you pick up your luggage and then you're going to the customs agent to uh, you know pass that. My gosh, this will save you so much time. Port Canaveral is a big one. You definitely want to use it over there, as well as uh, the Galveston port. Tremendous return benefit there. But every port we go to, use the porters. It's it's just it's it's in your best interest. So I'll put that out there. The next thing I don't recommend doing is booking a three or four night cruise for your first cruise. I know you're excited. It's Royal Caribbean. Hey, you've been listening to this podcast, saw the TV commercials. You can't wait to try your hand at a Royal Caribbean cruise and you should be excited for it. You should be wanting to put down some money and book that cruise. But it is a mistake as a first-timer to book a three- or four-nighter. And, of course, you're saying, well, wait a minute, Matt. Uh, it's my first cruise. What if I don't, I, I don't know what I like or I don't like? And, you know, uh, what if I don't like it? Three or four nights is, is pretty much the shortest option available. It allows me to dip my toes in. Sounds like a perfect opportunity, right? Well, you're wrong. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. But three- and four-night cruises go by so quickly that... As a first-time cruiser, I think there it's just you never have an opportunity to truly learn how you like to cruise. I'm not saying you have to do like a transatlantic or a 14-night cruise. I think a seven-night cruise is really that sweet spot for first-timers because you get a fair amount of port days, you get a fair amount of sea days, and it's a good opportunity to really understand what a cruise ship is like. I'm going to tell you right now, everybody listening to this podcast who has been on a couple of cruises will tell you, don't worry, you're not going to feel like you're trapped or anything like that. You're going to have a great time. And those three and four hours go by so quickly. And in a lot of cases, especially today when we're talking about those Bahamas cruises that are so popular with three or four nighters, they are just port, port, port. It is, you know, three nighters is you board the ship. The next day you're in either Nassau or Perfect Day Coco Key. And then the next day after that, you're the other one you didn't do. So Perfect Day Coco Key or uh, Nassau. And then you're back home. So you really don't get an opportunity to enjoy the ship, trek it all out. Heck, you might even just tire yourself out, quite frankly. So... I think as a first timer, you don't do them. I think the three and four night cruisers are great to augment your otherwise your other cruises you've got booked, and especially for people who've been there, done that. It's a great little option. I certainly take advantage of it all the time. But doing it as your first cruise, it's not a great idea. The next thing I don't recommend is relying on your birth certificate as your ID. If you're doing a closed loop cruise out of the United States and you're a U.S. citizen, you can cruise with a birth certificate and not a passport. Right? You need a birth certificate and a state issued ID, like a driver's license, right? And it is an option available to you, but it's a bad idea. And, and the reason being is passports are easier, simpler, and generally speaking, uh, just a generally better. It's an investment in your traveling future. I mean, your passport is not limited to just your cruise. If you want to go next summer to Europe 
or visit Canada or go anywhere in the world. I mean, this passport's going to be good for 10 years. And yeah, I know for kids, it's only five years. It doesn't matter. It's worthwhile. It is going to simplify things. And the example that I have to share, it's not a likely example. It'll probably never happen to you, but it's worth mentioning is if you were ever stuck somewhere, you know, either you missed the ship or your ship had to disembark early for some strange reason. It's very, very rare, but it has happened occasionally, you know, in a foreign port. If you don't have your birth certificate, or sorry, if you don't have your passport, you are in deep trouble. You cannot leave the country. You are going to have to go to the U.S. consulate office, wherever that is, and it's not always around the corner. Apply for an exit visa, use that, and get out. It's just a major hassle. So yes, birth certificates are easier easier in the sense that you don't have to lift a finger to do because you should have your birth certificate, as well as cheaper, but it's not a great idea. You should get a passport. It's it's the way to go. I mean, ask any cruiser who is cruised more than a couple times. Inevitably, I will bet you they have a passport and they don't rely on their birth certificate. There's a reason for this. It's not because we all we're all traveling the world hundreds of times. It's more like we just know that is the way to go, and it makes both the check-in process and uh, the last day when you're coming back and through customs process a heck of a lot easier to have your passport. So do yourself a favor, get a passport. And the last thing I don't recommend getting, a little controversial maybe, is buying the key. The key is that VIP guest program. You've probably have seen it on Royal Caribbean's website where you can get things like priority embarkation on the first day, uh, access, I should say, to signature activities on board the ship and a variety of other benefits. And it may seem like, hey, why wouldn't I get it, Matt? But the key is, in my opinion, it's very nice, but it's not necessary. You know, the example I like to share is like, if you go to Disney World, Walt Disney World or Disneyland, they have something called Fast Pass there. Fast Pass is a must-do. You've got to do that in order to get around and be able to work in a lot of different attractions. But on a cruise ship, the key is just something nice to have. It's kind of, it's not even, I was gonna say it's kind of like, you know, the easy pass or the express lanes on the highway, but that doesn't mean you're gonna be stuck in a giant line by any means. I think there are ways to mitigate the benefits of the key to the point that the key is not worth it. First and foremost, the internet, which is the bulk of the cost of the package, right? Buying an internet package, buy it before your cruise. You could oftentimes time a great sale uh, that occurs before your cruise and get a great price on the internet. So that's number one. Number two, okay, what about priority embarkation, Matt? Right? You wanna be able to get on board the ship early. You're not, it's your first cruise or you're not very, you're gold and crown and anchor society. The key to getting around this is simply show up to the cruise terminal early. If you are checking in for your cruise around 10, 30 or 11 a.m., you'll have no problem. And yeah, I know what the check-in time says in the app. You could ignore that. It's not enforced. You can show up there anytime you want. And when it comes to the signature activities, you know, oh, I want to go do the water slides and the and the sky pad and all those other things that are included, you know, the, the ice skating with the key. Yeah, there are some special times included, but in a lot of cases, those special times are at very inconvenient times. The classic example is the water slides are, and the sky pad are open around like five o'clock p.m. In a lot of cases, not all the cases, but in a lot of cases, it is around that time, basically, or during port days. Basically, the, pre the problem with five o'clock, by the way, is everyone's getting ready for dinner at that point. And on port days, well, thanks. Now I can't go do anything in port or I have to come back to the ship. And yeah, it's not a great idea. Uh, it's it's a, it's nice, don't get me wrong. And if you had a couple hundred dollars to burn, okay. But I don't recommend getting the key. I just don't think you need it. I think you can get around it and mitigate those issues, quite frankly, and still have a great cruise, regardless if it's your first time. So there you go. There's, I think it's three, six, yeah, nine of them. 
I didn't make it number 10, but nine things I don't recommend getting on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Uh, I'd be curious what you guys think about this because uh, I, I'm sure there were some you agree with and some that you were like, oh, but, uh, this Mac guy, I'm not so sure about anymore, <laughs> but I'd love to hear about it. Be sure to uh, comment on our episode here. Send me an email, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. All right, everybody, it's time to answer your emails. This is the part of the episode where I dive into my email inbox and answer the questions you have sent me. And if you'd love to send me a question about Royal Caribbean, feel free to send it to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. We'll begin this episode with a Royal Caribbean confession from Bill Carney. He writes, for breakfast, I'll run up to the Windjamere and get a bowl and fill it with corned beef hash, then cover it with country gravy. My cardiologist be damned. Uh, that's less of a Royal Caribbean confession, more of a... <laughs> More of a healthcare provider. <laughs> I'll be sure to pass that on to Signa. Uh, Next, we have an email from Andrew Montez. writes, Hi, Matt. Just want to thank you for all you do and provide for the blog and podcast. My family of four, along with my siblings and their spouses, are all traveling on Symphony of the Seas, all thanks to our mom, 13 of us. This will be our second Royal Green Cruise. The first was in November 2017. We took my mom and in-laws. Since then, my mom has been on four other cruises, mostly because Casino Royale keeps giving her free offers. My wife and I have been listening to the podcast as much as possible for any and all great tips. We hope the hurricane won't be as big factor for our ports of call. I want to share with you potentially with the rest of the Royal Green Blog followers a pub golf scorecard I made. I attached the PDF. Uh, we're going to give this a try on the first two days to celebrate my mom's birthday. All right, so let me take a look at this. So uh, Andrew included, and I'll, I'll post this in the in the show notes here. Uh, it is a, it's a, like a golf card. You can play mini golf. And it has all the pubs on whatever ship they happen, Symphony of the Seas here. And there's like, how do they... So they have like the attic deck four vintages deck eight and um in addition to going there you also have like a dare if you will so for the attic it's tell a joke make someone laugh uh for vintages mysterious wine guess what you're drinking uh wipe out our water hazard drink water uh sing karaoke at the on-air club so interesting ideas here um if you want to mix it up i think it might be fun with families you know what i mean so you know what, Andrew, thank you so much for this. I'm actually going to attach this to the show notes at royalgreenblog.com, and hopefully you guys can check it out for yourself. So thank you, Andrew, for that. We have our next email, and it is from Christy, who writes, I want to send you an email to give you a quick review of our experience with canceling our cruise due to Hurricane Dorian. Since our experience varied a little bit from yours, I'll try to keep it brief. We were scheduled to go on a three-night Symphony of the Sea Sailing, which we probably booked after getting off the Royal Korean Blog group cruise on Symphony November. It too was a kid-free vacation for my husband and I. We were planning on flying in two days before the sailing and flying home to Texas after. This led to an earlier critical decision point for us than we would have had if we were local to Florida. Even though our sailing was extended, the current projection showed the hurricane over central Florida after coming inland and I was concerned about the ability to return home after returning to the port. Unfortunately, the situation wouldn't have been a fun extended Florida trip as we would have had to find a hotel room in an area that potentially just got hit by a hurricane, there could have been power outages, flooding, etc. The idea of coming being stuck in Florida, my parents had to figure out what to do with my child, did not sit well with me. So the symphony sailing was different in that they didn't offer the bailout of 100% future cruise credit. I was okay with the fact that I would be losing the fare on the sailing, even though I was hopeful the policy would change. It eventually did, which was super awesome of Royal Caribbean. So I have a few tips to share. Number one, before you start all the phone calls, pick out a consolation prize sailing for yourself. Through the hours and hours I spent on the phone with various companies, I kept thinking about the sailing in four weeks we decided on instead. This kept my sanity. 
Number two, be patient and kind to everyone working with you. Nobody owes you an exemption to their consolation policy. The most everyone, most everyone waive fees for us, but being kind also goes a long way. It's not the person on the other line's fault that this is happening, and it's likely that they were in an area that is worried about a hurricane affecting their personal life as well, like Florida. Number three, I wasn't smart and didn't use a traveler, so I was on the one on the phone. I found that if I tried to cancel plans online, for example, with our hotel, the cancellation fee applied. If I took time to call, I was able to receive a waiver. Even Spirit Airlines, the king of nickel and diming, waived their change fee and offered a future flight credit. Number four, this last tip does not apply to Royal Caribbean. There is no one, not even a supervisor's boss, that can override the policies put out by headquarters. Wait to call until it has been announced that they would offer future cruise credit. This came much later for Symphony than it did for other sailings. I was a little bit frustrated, but when it comes down to it, Royal Caribbean truly didn't owe me anything. I was grateful that they finally changed the policy for my policy. Number five, I touched this on the above, but when making the decision to cancel or not, please remember that a cruise can return to a hurricane-stricken area. I've always lived on the Gulf Coast and know the effects from hurricanes can last for weeks or even months. You may have trouble getting home for a few days, especially if you're flying. And number six, don't forget to cancel your purchase in the cruise planner. Luckily, there is no fee for this and the easiest part of the trip to cancel. And lastly, don't let any of this prevent you from YOLO booking your next cruise with, of course, the sponsor, MEI Travel. In the end, I traded out its three night symphony for a seven night one, so not so bad. Christy, thank you so much for the email. Great tips, by the way, when it comes to what to do essentially in that, you know, couple days leading up to your cruise in which a hurricane may or may not be impacting you. I think I agree with everything you said there, Chris. I don't think there's one thing I would have done differently. Uh, you know, it's it's really good insight. So thank you for sharing that. Next, we have an email from Randy Crone who writes, love the podcast. Thanks for all your efforts. I have two questions for you. Number one, is the spawn Royal Caribbean ships operated by Royal Caribbean or is it contracted out to a third party to operate? And number two, we know what the Hotspur family does on embarkation day, but what's the MO on debarkation day? First off the ship, staying as long as possible. Thanks. These are good questions. Number one, the spas are operated by a third party. I believe it's called Steiner, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, it's a third party for sure. So yeah, it's not operated by Royal Caribbean. And this is pretty, I think they also operate, the same company does it for at least a couple other cruise lines. I want to say Disney and maybe even Carnival. I'm not sure, but I know they're not the only, they're not the only one. They only don't do just for Royal Caribbean. And number two, so our MO for debarkation day is we usually like to be the first ones off the ship. Uh, the only reason we wouldn't be the first ones off the ship, if we're in Florida, we usually carry off, certainly for a three or four night cruise. For a seven night cruise, we will get a low number to get off the ship. Inevitably, we have to be somewhere. Unfortunately, it, either I have to get to work or my kids have to get to school or we have to make a flight. We don't linger all that much around there. It's just, yeah, it rarely is the case. And I, and I think the, uh, the only time it might have actually worked where I could have actually lingered on the ship and stayed a little bit longer would have been that fabled uh, hurricane cruise I talked about earlier that I had to cancel because that one got back on Labor Day, which is Monday, obviously. But that Monday didn't have work, so we I would have been hard-pressed and there's no kids there. Of course, we didn't go on that cruise, but 99% of the time we are hustling to get off that ship because we just have to be somewhere. Next is an email from Joshua Dunford who writes, Hi, Matt. I recently started listening to your podcast on recommendation from my dad, who is a Royal Caribbean diehard. My wife and I just booked a January 2020 selling 
on Oasis of the Seas, our second Royal Caribbean cruise. I had a quick question about the upcoming Amplified Remodel. I saw your YouTube video about the coming changes to the ship, but I can't find any information about what, if anything, is being done to the staterooms. Are you aware of any changes to finishes, carpeting, bedding, etc., coming to staterooms as part of the remodel? Love the podcast. I look forward to new episodes every week and listen to them on my way home from school in the evenings. This will be our first vacation by ourselves in five years since our honeymoon, and the podcast really helps to keep me excited about the upcoming trip. Joshua, thanks for listening, and Josh's dad, thanks for the recommendation. So in terms of the uh, staterooms, I get this question like all the time, dude. This is about every ship. Any ship that's getting a refurbishment, this is probably the first question out of people's mouth, which is, hey, are the rooms getting updated? And the answer is, I have no idea. And the reason is because Royal Caribbean doesn't say. Um, With the Royal Amplified program, some ships have gotten their rooms updated, some have not. Example, Mariner did not get the rooms updated, Navigator did. Inevitably, Joshua, the answer is going to be until somebody gets on board the ship, we won't know the answer. And the good news is, Josh, I'm going on Oasis of the Seas in November. First sailing back, November 24th, I'll be on Oasis of the Seas, and you can uh, certainly read my live blog I'll be doing at royalcrainblog.com. That basically means every day of the cruise, Josh, I'll be posting a live blog detailing what I'm doing. And on day one, you bet your bottom dollar, I'm going to be checking out well my room is especially, but also get a sense of have the rooms been updated and in what capacity. So as soon as I know, Josh, I'll post about it in my live blog at royalkoreanblog.com. Next, we have an email from Tara Burkritz. Hi, Matt. We're so excited to book Liberty of the Seas in July 2020. My husband and I are with our two boys, ages 14 and 17, and my brother, his wife, and their three kids, ages 16, 19, and 21. We fly into Galveston from Reno, Nevada, and my brother and his family from Portland, Maine. A family reunion vacation. I've been listening to your podcast every day and getting in the cruise mood. I have two questions for you. First, my younger son is 14 and his cousin niece, uh, sorry, my younger son is 14 and his cousin, my niece, 16, would be the two that would live it up in the teen club most of the cruise. Will they be able to be together in the teen club? Am I correct in thinking that they're actually in different age groups as far as Royal Caribbean categorizes the age of the teen club? How do I sure they'll be able to hang out together? Uh, I think they hang out together, I think. Oh no, and I don't know what you're talking about. I think you're talking about the 12 to 14. You know, when you check in, you have to register your kids, uh, Tara. I don't know the answer, honestly, because my kids haven't been through the teen clubs. I've only heard things about this. But here's the bottom line, Tara. When you go on board the ship, you have to register your kids for any aspect of Adventure Ocean, including the teens club. So day one, there'll be an open house in the teen club. You go up there, register your kids, and you can inquire about that. You can also ask Tara, perhaps, if there is a separation. It'll depend on the sailing, quite frankly. Uh, you know, if they can be together. Um, I would say you have a 50-50 shot at it, so nothing to lose. And second question, even though I've strongly advocated to my husband that we should fly in the day before, I'm just not sure we can make that work with his work schedule. Can you speak a little about Royal Caribbean's air-sea program? Would this be our best option if we can't get in the day before we embark? Thanks for bringing such an informative and fun podcast to my daily commute. Wow, all right, talk about things I don't recommend doing. <laughs> I don't recommend doing what you're what you're thinking about doing. Don't fly in the day, don't fly in the day of your cruise. Look, I get it. Work stinks. Work something out. No pun intended. Uh, To answer your question most directly, the Air to Sea program can provide you an option for it. You're going to pay extra for it. It's not a bad idea for international travel, for domestic. uh, Yeah, you can look at it. I mean, what it would help you with, obviously, is if any delays or cancellations in your airfare. Royal Cream would be the one who's kind of, you know, filling in the gaps for you. So not a terrible idea from that regard, but I'm telling you, Tara, uh, now I know Reno to to Houston, probably not a hotbed of flights, but my gosh, if there's any flexibility in that, I would really, really strongly recommend 
you fly in. This is July, so this is the summer. In summertime, you get a lot of summer storms. Thunderstorms that happen in the afternoon. So if you are doing this, you definitely wanna make sure you are on the first flight of the day. If that's at 6 a.m., you're on that 6 a.m. flight because you don't wanna have an inbound flight delay cause your problem. You wanna have, you wanna be the first one on that plane for the day, be able to fly out for you. Uh, and, and keep in mind that, you know, Galveston, the distance between Galveston and Houston is about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on, there's two airports in, in Houston, so it depends which one you're going to. So that's not insignificant. And again, traffic and man, I, I would have a lot of anxiety about that. And I, I know that work is, it can be difficult. Not everybody has the flexibility, but I mean, maybe you've already done this. So I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there for other folks as well, Tara. One thing, I mean, talk to your boss, be like, hey, look, we have this family vacation coming up. We don't want to, you know, uh, put that in jeopardy. Is there any way I can maybe work a little earlier in the day that they were leaving or maybe uh, work, you know, extra hours early in that week, you know, make up that time essentially. But if not, the Royal Caribbean Air to Sea program is an option available to you. Uh, and for those who aren't aware, the Royal Caribbean's Air to Sea program is an airfare booking option that Royal Caribbean allows you to. Basically, Royal Caribbean almost acts like a travel agent in this regard, and you can book their airfare there. Uh, there are some some benefits to them. The the chief benefit is if your flight is canceled, uh, they Royal Caribbean will be the one to go fix it for you instead of you doing so. Um, uh, again, it, it's. Regardless of that, I still don't recommend flying in the day of. Could you do it? Have others done it? Of course they have, Tara. So, you know, I, I need to put that out there. But if there's any wiggle room at all, I would use the flying in the same day as a last resort, to be perfectly honest with you. And if you are doing it, make sure you take the earliest flight known to man on that day. Heck, there might even be a red-eye flight, and I would recommend that over over the coming in even that morning. So look at the options there and, uh, you know, do the best you can, but I hopefully this will work out for you. And I, I'm Tara, I hope you send me an email after your cruise saying, you know, na 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 you know, it all worked out for us, which is great. Next, we have an email from Philip writes, our five-day cruise on Majesty of the Seas became a seven, then an eight-day sailing due to a hurricane. The captain, cruise director, and the entire team were fantastic. They kept the guests informed, safe, fed, entertained, and serviced and taken care of. Air to Sea seamlessly changed our homeward bound flights without us lifting a finger. We received another three day vacation at no cost, including Wi-Fi and drink package. Unbelievable. I cannot say enough about this Royal Caribbean experience, especially considering the media, report, media reports and interviews with many passengers on two Norwegian ships rerouted to New Orleans uh, and versus Miami. Well, Philip, uh, I, I agree with you that, uh, first of all, I'm glad to hear you had, uh, had a great um, backup option there with, with Royal and they took good care of you. And I will say that in the last couple of years, Royal's attention to detail with these storms has been nothing short of extraordinary. Uh, I think it really stands that because Royal Caribbean has its dedicated meteorologist, James Van Fleet, that makes a world of difference in being able to accurately get a sense of what is going to happen and plan around that. And I think that's, in my covering Royal Caribbean over these almost 10 years, the it's been a night and day difference since Mr. Van Fleet joined the company versus... Um, uh, since then, so yeah. Next, we have an email from Carlo from Sweden. I recently discovered your blog and I find it enjoyable to listen to. You have a really good knowledge and nice inputs about the Royal Caribbean world. In January, we're going on a lure of the seas with my wife's family. As a former Royal Caribbean employee, I worked on uh, from 2011-2014 on Independence, Brilliance, and Vision at Guest Services, Loyalty Desk, and Next Cruise. 
my family expects me to have all the answers regarding the cruise. We have a baby who's seven months in the group, and during my time at Royal Caribbean, we offered the guests the possibility to pre-order baby amenities such as diapers, etc. However, as I'm browsing the Royal Caribbean website, I don't find any mention of this. Do you know if this is still offered, or did Royal Caribbean stop this? Uh, Carl, thank you for the email. I believe they got rid of this. There used to be this program you could order like diapers and baby food and a variety of other things. Uh, regardless, I don't think it's a good idea, Carlo. Even back then, not only are you overcharged for it, there were limited choices. I know you're coming from Sweden, so not like you can just pack it in your car. But my advice, Carlo, is when you get to the US, stop at a supermarket or convenience store or Walmart and you pick one up along the way. You can tell your taxi driver, you know, if you're going from your hotel or the airport directly to the cruise ship, tell them, hey, can we stop quickly at someplace to pick up baby supplies? The good news is there's a lot of choices between any airport and hotel in your cruise port. So you'll have a, a variety of options available to you. Another option you could do, Carlo, if you time it well is to use Amazon. Uh, you go to amazon.com, order the supplies and send it to your hotel you're staying at. Again, you have to do this in the last couple days before your cruise and make sure the delivery date is gonna line up when you're there. Then call your hotel and say, hey, I actually just ordered some supplies, a package to be delivered to the hotel, it's under my name, please hold it until we check in. That usually works out pretty well. That would be my advice. I'd do one of those two, um, but it's funny, I completely forgot about the option there to pre-order baby amenities, you know, like there were diapers and formula and whatnot, but definitely order them and order more than you need. It's better to have too much than too little, so definitely do that. And our last email this week is gonna be coming, these are great emails, by the way, coming to us from Nick writes, Hello, Matt, I have a question for you. I'm going on the Mariner of the Seas for a three-night sailing to Nassau and Perfect Day Coco Key, leaving out of Port Canaveral. While booking, we picked two guaranteed staterooms that are interior rooms. I received my ticket booklet, but not my stateroom numbers. When will I receive my room assignments? Thanks in advance. Thank you for everything you do. Nick, the answer is, it depends. There is no set answer. When you book a guaranteed room, there is no set time frame in which you'll be guaranteed to know when those guaranteed rooms are gonna be assigned. Usually, it'll come in the next couple days after you book. I've seen it, I think one example I know of somebody who actually took, I think the day before their cruise to be assigned. It's very much the outlier. Um, the thing is you just gotta keep checking back. Eventually it will show up there, Nick. I wish I gave you a better answer than that, but honestly and truly that is the answer. So thank you, Nick, for the email. Thank you to everybody for sending in these wonderful emails. Great, great stuff there. And of course, you, if you wanna send me your email, you can do so by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at Royal Caribbean blog. Dot com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again real soon.